What's new at Cold Wax Academy? Rebecca and Jerry launched their spring quarter on April 12th. This quarter sessions include identifying compositional issues in your work, technical information from Gamblin representative Mary Tevlin, a painting clinic for works in progress, and much more. As always, members can join in on live sessions with questions and comments and can benefit anytime by interacting with other members on our members-only Facebook page. With 100 recorded sessions in the member library, there is always something to learn or review, with topics ranging from technical advice to visual language to guest speakers and critiques of member work. To learn more about membership and to purchase Cold Wax tools and Rebecca and Jerry's book, Cold Wax Medium, Techniques, Concepts, and Conversations, please visit coldwaxacademy.com. That's coldwaxacademy.com. All right, let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to the Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about explaining abstraction. Lots of people misunderstand abstract art or don't respect it as a valid form of expression. We've all heard remarks that imply that abstract artists lack talent or skill or are trying to fool people into appreciating something that has no value. If you are an abstract artist, how do you deal with this attitude? Do you have family and friends who dismiss your work? Do you let negative remarks pass by, or do you try to provide some background or insight into abstraction? Today we'll explore why abstraction confounds many viewers and some ways you might provide some insight. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. Well, this issue is really out there, even if you don't often deal with it directly. Um, it's a generalized attitude, as we know, um, and if you do find yourself in a position of wanting to explain something or defend yourself a little bit, uh, we just thought we'd talk a little bit about ways to do that that might actually be interesting and, and effective um, to give people some insight. I will say, though, to start, it is perfectly okay if you don't want to do that. You know, if you don't want to explain it or defend it or, you know, try to educate people, um, Abstract artists have well over 100 years of history um, in the Western world, Western art world, to support that approach. <laughs> and, you know, huge numbers of people who really do get it. So if you choose to just ignore that negativity, negativity that is uh, certainly a valid strategy and, and maybe the most stressful. But, you know, it is stressful if somebody in your life gives you a hard time about it and or if you just, in general, want to have something up your sleeve, if somebody says something about it um, and you want to be able to refute it in some way. And I think there's a value in being able to state your position in a clear way that you know will help somebody understand if, if they're open to it at all. Um, so it's pr probably hard to convince people that really, really believe that abstract art is worthless. I mean, I, I don't think that's something that you need to take on, but but worth giving it a try to maybe elevate people's understandings a little bit and also to try to understand, you know, where they're coming from. Like, why is this hard? Why is it so difficult um, for people to broach into this 
world of um, abstraction. And, you know, I have a few thoughts about that. I think there's a general discomfort that people may feel just, just really being at a loss because in a lot of abstract art, and not all, but a lot of it, there's no easily identified subject matter. So abstraction can be abstracted from um, the visual world, and you may see a figure, you may see a landscape in it, but but you may not. Um, and when there isn't something to latch on to immediately or something that looks uh, real in a way that you can um, you know, clearly identify it, then for a lot of people, there's there's nothing to go on. You know, there's they don't feel that they have a way to um, evaluate it. And if if they are looking at something that's distorted in some way, like maybe an abstract landscape that's um, very simplified or very bright color or something, um, that's another that's another obstacle too because they may say, well, it's a landscape, but oh, the color's all wrong or something. So there's a there's a intentional distortion by the artist. So there's that that really just initial thing of I don't I don't know what I'm seeing. I don't get this. Um, and confusion or a feeling like they don't really know um, how to talk about whatever reaction they're having or even to identify the reaction. It's a pretty easy to reaction, a pretty easy reaction to say, I don't like it. I don't get it. I'm going to walk away from it. They may feel something else and that's harder to just to, to um, you know, kind of hone in on, like, what is that feeling? Is it an emotion? Is it a memory? Is it something? And so abstraction might challenge them on, in a way that simply confuses the person. Um, and, you know, that, of course, there's more ease. The more someone looks at abstraction, they're going to feel more at ease in entering that world. But, you know, for people that don't see a lot of it, I think it's, uh, it's it's, con- it's confrontational in a way. It's like saying, "Here it is." You know, what do you think? And and a lot of people will just just back away. They may feel that they they don't have words. <laughs> they don't have words to express. Even if the, even if they feel in a positive way, it's hard to find the language to talk about it. And then if you don't have the language to talk about it or to respond to the artist, then you know, I think then you as the viewer feel kind of dumb, like I don't know the language here. And that's another negative loop, kind of. I don't know. I might have something to say, but I don't know how to say it. And I'm afraid I'm going to sound dumb or offensive or something else. Um, So those are all ways that people might respond, yet still be open to talking if, if you give them an inroad or you give them a little bit of background. I would say there are people that, you know, the bias about this way of art is is really deep. It's really ingrained. And um, if they really think that you as the artist lack talent or ability, and, and in their minds the only true artist does realism, then, you know, it's probably not going to go anywhere. <laughs> they may really think that you're just faking it or something. And... They don't understand that it's not easy. <laughs> it is not easy to make, to create 
um, abstract imagery, abstract worlds out of one's imagination, out of one's own responses and emotions and so on. It's very challenging. And it may be hard to convince anyone of that if they they really just think it's a fake. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it's interesting um, how technology has has impacted this this question uh, in terms of realism versus abstraction there was there was a time when um, realism was was kind of the only way to record images of historical events and and right. where uh, realism uh, had had a really um, a utility in terms of of uh, historical record and and still uh, to this day, um, you know, in in courtrooms where photography is not permitted, there's there's a a a whole category of art that is done in order to preserve a, a historical record. Um, and, but photography, for the most part, has replaced um, artists who would have done that kind of work outside of some very specific circumstances. And now right. as as artificial intelligence becomes uh, both a a tool and in some cases maybe um, a competitor to other forms of art, um, abstraction is a place where um, digitally produced uh, art, abstract art with artificial intelligence looks very different from mm-hmm. what abstract human artists create. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I, I think it, it does, uh, highlight a, uh, a, a way in which, in which abstract art is unique still in, in the artistic world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm not sure where I'm really going with this, but I, I think <laughs> well, that, I think that technology is pinpointing, um, you know, how, how abstraction does require talent, first of all, and, and mm-hmm. how it is unique. Well, and and most of it, a lot of it, um, is is highly personal. Shows the hand of the artist and those things that um, AI isn't going to be able to do. And you and you're you're right about um, the the role that photography played in this whole thing. And I I want to get into that a little bit in the history, brief brief history of abstraction, but um. Yeah, somehow culturally ingrained that at least in a lot of people that art that isn't isn't realistic doesn't require ability, imagination, talent. If you look at a beautifully rendered realistic painting, those things are obvious. You know, the the talent to produce realism is obvious. The imagery can be identified, and so it's all pretty concrete. And there's also a whole lot of imagination realism that people may not quite take into account, how the subjects are chosen, what's being done with them, but just that, that visual impact of, okay, it's it's beautifully rendered, I see it, it's impacting me in some way, um, and those are all really positive attributes of realism but it's not either or, you know. Right. I mean, I, I I admire and love a lot of realistic art, um, and it's I think that opening your mind to other art forms is, you know, it's it's exciting. It's it broadens your world. So, well, and something that is created by human hands is always going to have 
an intrinsic an intrinsic kind of craft value, you know, where yes. where it's where this isn't something that was reproduced digitally. This is something that that a person made with their hands, and that's I, I think no matter what it is, there's going to be value placed on that. But mm-hmm. it, on some level, I I really think that that all visual art is representation on some level. And it's and so it, the question is, what are you representing in in realism? You're representing physical reality, things that we can see and touch and taste and smell and and interact with. Um, and when you're what you're representing in abstraction is oftentimes things that are, that don't have a physical presence. Yeah, and interestingly enough. You can also hear the opposite argument. Everything is abstraction, you know. Right. Every every painting of a landscape, a realistic landscape, is also an abstraction because the artist has made certain choices and and left certain things out and emphasized certain things. And there, it's abstraction is all about um, getting to the essence of things, and that's that's one of the the things that you know. I think if you do decide that you want to have a conversation with somebody who isn't uh, informed or open to abstraction, there are two kind of approaches you can do, and you can do both, maybe not all at once, because this would be a lot, but but to talk about abstraction in general, as we've been doing, and and um, and a few other, you know, points about it that, that I want to mention, as a, you know, just as a general topic might be Interesting, and then the other thing is to talk about your own work um, in a personal way, and that's that's maybe step two. I don't know, or maybe it's step one, depending on who you're talking to. But in general, abstraction is about expressing the essence of something. So we have essence, which is a very abstract idea, and we have of something, which is what you were referring to the the reference. Um, there very often is a reference, even in even in art, that is what we call pure abstraction, where there's no reference to something we can point to and say we identify that object. Still, there is some reference. And, and maybe it's as pure as I'm experimenting with shape and color. Or maybe it's I'm interested in architecture, and so my abstract work is composed of you know, geometric shapes. So, but... You know, it's it's often interesting to know where an abstract person is getting their ideas, but it's all about just kind of getting to the core characteristics of whatever the art artist finds interesting in in their reference in their subject matter. So, the fact that this is a very broad um, idea, I mean, it can come from anywhere. Um, the sources for abstract work, it just points out this fallacy about huge generalizations that people make about abstraction like it's just one thing like it's just shapes and colors or something you know there's a a stereotype in a lot of people's minds of what abstraction is and I know that when I people ask me about my work what do you do in certain cases as soon as I say it's abstraction the eyes glaze over you know (laughs) I feel almost immediately dismissed as somebody who's not very serious, somebody who's just throwing paint around, you know. And and when people do that, they're just dismissing this huge range of art that can be called abstraction. I mean, that 
that pure abstraction, that type that doesn't, it's, we call it non-referential or non-objective, is typically the most challenging because it may just be about the visual elements. It's an exploration of color or an explanation exploration of shape in the way that um, a lot of music can be an exploration of you know, rhythm and pattern and tone. And it's very, very similar. So um, anyway, one of the things to to engage with people about if they dismiss abstraction is, well, what, what's your, what do you think abstraction is? I mean, what is it? And, and it, you know, that's a starting point because a lot of people, like I said, have a very narrow idea of what it is. But if you look just very briefly at the history of it, um, abstraction in Europe and in the U.S., rose at the time when photography first first became popular. So we're talking um, very early 20th century. And so... Well, when... before we get into the, that historical perspective, uh, let's take a quick moment to talk about what deals are available from Blick. Right now at Blick, the premier wood panels, the Blick premier wood panels are between 34 and 62% off list price. And these are the the artist-grade wood panels. These are really nice. Uh, prized for their strength, stability, and perfect smoothness, hardwood panels have been a popular painting support since the 14th century. For today's artist, Blick is pleased to offer their premier wood panels. Among the best quality you can find on the market and, like all Blick products, a terrific value. They feature a premium select 4mm solid basswood surface, braced by a solid basswood cradle. Blick has chosen basswood, which is also known as linden, for its fine uniform characteristics, limited wood grain, and proven stability over time. Each panel is precision crafted, meticulously sanded on all sides, and ready to prime with the ground of your choice. Because of their rigidity and resistance to bowing, Blick Premier wood panels are a popular support for heavy paint applications and encaustics. They are also great for mounting photos, paper, prints, fabric, and more. They are backed by Blick's 100% satisfaction guarantee. The discounts on the panels do kind of vary based on the size, but but for example, there's uh, this size here, which I know you like, Rebecca, is the 36 by 48. And currently, the 36 by 48 panels are $140.66. That's marked down from $237.41. There's also a bulk discount if you order four or more you can get that 36 by 48 panel for only $126.65 a piece. So once again, to take advantage of that tremendous discount on these high-quality panels and to support the Messy Studio Podcast, please remember to use our affiliate link, which is, of course, MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick. That will take you straight through to the regular Blick website, but when you go to MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick, Blick will donate a very generous 10% to the Messy Studio Podcast, which really helps us to pay bills around here. So once again, that's MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick. That's all for now. Let's get back into it. Okay. Well, yes, I was I was about to step into my um, art history lecturer role. Yeah, I, I thought maybe art history <laughs> might, might go for a couple minutes, so maybe we should get a quick ad read. <laughs> well, and I am going to try to keep it brief. Um and yes, uh, the, those wood panels, I mean, wood panels, to talk, talking about art history, yeah, that's an ancient painting support. And I always use wood panels when I paint uh, with cold wax medium. Uh, so, um, okay, so talking about 
when did abstraction, I mentioned right in the beginning, it's been around for a long time. And sometimes people say, oh, this, this modern stuff, you know, <laughs> come on. <laughs> the, it goes back to 1910, 1912, around then. Um, and it was the time um, when photography was getting to the point where people could just ordinary people could have cameras and and photography became quite popular before that it was it was highly technical and a little bit dangerous but you know there's this era where where people are taking basically snapshots and documenting their lives and their friends and so on so um the need for as you mentioned the need for um absolute realism was basically set to one side. So photography could develop as its own art form, and it certainly has, but painting had some choices, um, and it was very liberating. And so there, there were also other cultural, social factors happening at the same time that were pushing artists into new territory. I mean, there was um, lots of industrial development, uh, World War One, and those lots of things happening where people felt a little destabilized. And abstraction became an expression of emotion, um, kind of a, a feeling of the times, I suppose, and, and a, uh, excitement also for the new, for something different. And uh, so very liberating then and now. And... Visually speaking, so much is, is possible with abstraction. I mean, you can have very flat color and simple geometry, or you can have very complex, organic, intricate surfaces. You can reference the real world, um, or you can just work with the formal qualities of like the visual elements. So um, there, is huge, there are huge categories of, of abstraction from, from landscape, from figures, um, and so what what is it that we can say, well, this this is becoming abstract. There's a sort of a continuum where it may, may not always be absolutely one thing or another, but as we move towards abstraction, uh, it is the amount of distortion, the amount of simplification, the the amount of taking things out of a realistic context if you're working from real-world objects to get at some essence. And so there's lots of abstraction that doesn't feel like it's a real space or it doesn't seem like the colors are right. And that's, you know, very purposeful on the part of the artist to to push into this a more perhaps emotional or narrative or thoughtful territory that they're interested in. So um what kind of abstraction is it when there's a painting of of dogs playing poker? <laughs> I think we could maybe call that surrealism. <laughs> We're not just going to call it bad. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> so the idea that, I mean, the, the stereotype idea that abstract artists are completely divorced from the visual world, the world around us, it just isn't true. Even when, as I mentioned earlier, even when nothing can be absolutely identified, because um, Aside from people that are just working with the visual elements, like for their own sakes and pure abstraction, um, many times ideas are coming from observation from the world. Um, and an example that comes to mind is is Sean Scully's paintings, which reference stone walls, and you know you have these um, rectangles of color, which could appear to be rectangles of color, and they are. But also interesting to know that he has that background of interest in stone walls. And you see that 
that um, translation or that, you know, um, evolving into this more formal way of using the the shapes. So um, I, I guess, you know, getting back to what confuses people about abstraction, it is open to interpretation. And I think that fact alone is enough to scare some viewers away because, you know, if you want a definite meaning, um, you're probably going to have to make one up for yourself. And that's, that's a leap. Um, so it's very common for viewers to look at an abstract painting and find things, you know, find figures and animals and clouds and so on. Right. But <clears throat> yeah, there's, there's a word for that with the, the tendency of the human mind to, to look for familiar objects in mm-hmm. in shapes, <laughs> and it, yeah. it's escaping me right now. But I'll remember it later, and then I'll wish that I had remembered it right now. But <laughs> it is it is it's totally human. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I mean, it, it can be a very enjoyable part of looking at abstraction. Sometimes it bothers the artist because it's not what you were intending. But and as an abstract artist, you know, you're sort of setting a stage for people to come into it and and find their own meanings. Um, but the problem comes when people say, oh, I see, it's a landscape, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I have, I have now identified it. And it's sort of a, a binary way of thinking. It either is or it isn't a landscape. <laughs> and for the artist, it's possible to be both. It's possible for the painting to be very much about color, shape, whatever. Maybe primarily so, with enough you know, visual cues to to bring somebody into the realm of landscape when they look at it. But it's it's both, you know, it's both a complete abstraction and perhaps a reference. And I think what what tends to bother abstract artists is when people say, oh, I get it, that's what you're doing. <laughs> it probably isn't. You know, in many cases, it's it's very, um, it's a shifting reality that we work with. And so the need for people to pin it down in some way is difficult. Um, if you're talking to someone and, and you're trying to interest them in your work, and that's what they're doing, I, as I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just, um, you know, maybe saying, oh, yes, there is some landscape in there. I think about landscape, but there's also this other thing, you know, this this way of using texture or whatever it is that you might want to point out. Um, and that kind of leads me into the the second way of talking to people about abstraction, which is more personal. It's talking about your own work, if you're an abstract artist. Helping somebody to see it, you know, helping somebody to appreciate it. And I, I do believe this is most important when the person is somebody who's important to you and you want them, you want them to get it. You want them to get you and what you're doing. And so, you know, there's, there's things that you could, there's ways that you could approach that, that might help them. And one of them ways is to say why you like abstraction, you know, what, why are you interested in it? The, is it the, the liberating feeling or the journey or the challenge, you know, what is it? And come at it from that point of view so that your excitement about it will will carry into the conversation. It, it's not dry, you know, and when you're saying, oh, I, you know, when I, when I found this way of expression, it just really grabbed me. And if someone cares about you and they're hearing you say that, you know, hopefully they'll try to understand that. Um, you know, why, 
why did you end up there? Or did you initially jump into abstraction? Was that always your interest? Or did you arrive there after realism? And arriving there after realism is kind of fascinating to people who think realism is the be-all and end-all of painting, because if you've become a realist artist, why in the world would you stop? You know, But for many artists, and you can look at art history this way, many artists have gone through that realism phase and then moved on to abstraction because they were interested in the imaginary, more imaginary engagement, the challenges, um, just the liberation of it. Um, well, so, and talking about your own work, you're putting quite a bit more at risk. You're kind of putting it all on the table. And I, I think that's important, but it's also, most people are not cruel. Every right. once in a while, people are. And, and if they are, then you don't need to have that conversation with that person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's also important to recognize that that most people have very limited exposure to abstraction. And, and a lot of time, a lot of times it's not high quality work <laughs> that, that they've been exposed True. to in the past. And it's I mean, there's definitely there's really good, amazing abstraction, and there's really bad abstraction. And Just like same, in any genre. <laughs> exactly. The same is 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 true of realism. And I, I, I tend to think that most people where they encounter art in the world is like in hotel rooms and things like that. You know what I mean? Like most people have not encountered a, lo- a whole lot of really good art in their lives. You know, mm-hmm. even those of us who seek out good art, like where do we encounter art most of the time? You know, mm-hmm. it's it unless you're going to uh, a lot of galleries and art museums and things like that, the art that you're seeing just kind of in the world, a lot of times is is not high quality art. If we're mm-hmm. if we're real honest, we see a lot more low quality than high quality art. Well, yeah, that's true. And I think if you're showing your work to somebody, um, you know, do it with pride. I think I think bravery is important, and trusting yourself, and uh, and and if you, it, it, I just want to encourage people to take that risk with people. You know, because oh, mo- okay. most of the time people are not are not cruel. A lot of times they don't have a basis to understand. You know, they, it, you may show them your work after they've made some negative comment about abstraction, and and oftentimes they will have simply never seen high quality abstract work before. You know what mm-hmm. they've what they've seen is is in a context where they're really not interacting with high quality work, or maybe it's a representation of a, of a high quality piece, but it's done in a very low quality manner. So a lot mm-hmm. of people know Jackson Pollock, but how many people have seen a Jackson Pollock in real life? It's you see, quite you understand different. What I'm saying, yeah, oh, yeah it's yeah. a very I different mean, kind of impact. Well, and you know, if you have somebody in your life that that you sense their interest, they they just don't know, they just they haven't experienced it, you know, then that's another thing to do is to try to um, encourage them to go with you to a gallery or a museum. Um, I remember once walking with a friend through um, a museum and she had specifically asked me to talk to her about some of the abstract work because she didn't understand it. And I mean, what an opportunity. It was It was pretty ideal because she was already interested. She just didn't really get it. But it was... It was really pretty fascinating. You know, this is an open-minded person, but just doesn't know where to start. And, you know, if that's what you're encountering and, and somebody who's basically has a warm attitude towards you, that's, 
you know, that would be a good thing to do is try to try to get people in front of some historic um, abstract art or or very good of any type abstract art and help them kind of understand why it's good. Um, your own personal work, I think one thing that people do become involved with and interested in are, well, sort of the nuts and bolts, I suppose, the techniques, um, the decisions you make. And a lot of people can appreciate time and effort involved, even if the end result may escape them. But um, if you explain how you put a painting together or what's involved, um, the materials, the scale that you work at, the colors that you choose, that makes it clear that this is not random. You know, you're making decisions all the time. And that helps with appreciation to just, yeah, just invite people into your studio and just say, here's what I do. And and oftentimes if people come into my studio and I'm aware that they don't know a lot about art, I don't really expect a lot of reaction. You know, I I just talk about stuff and let them take it in and not have big expectations for a response. And, and that, that helps, you know, <laughs> your own feelings. You don't have to wait for an engagement um, if you, if people seem open enough. Um, and the last thing really is, is to talk about the ideas behind your work. Uh, if it's not clear, you know, if you don't have recognizable subject matter, talk about your visual language. How did you arrive at these shapes and colors? Um, if you're, if it is tied to something in the visual world, but not obvious, you know, talk about that. Um, it really helps if people understand your sources. And one of the most common questions that abstract artists get is, where do you get your ideas? And and oftentimes, like, ideas is a little bit concrete. <laughs> but most, most of us have influences, sources, things we like to look at, uh, places we've traveled. You know, we we can talk about those things and it it brings people in and they start to understand that this is personal it's not random it has meaning and that's that's a huge step well do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode well i guess i would say that um in a way abstraction for many people is a bit like um hearing another language or being confronted with a language that they don't really understand and it can be hard to bridge a language gap. We all know that. Um, and it may not always seem worthwhile. I mean, you may be better off shrugging some of this off if you encounter negativity. But sometimes you do You do want to help educate people a bit, help them understand the ideas behind what you do. Um, and so um, also... <clears throat> also to for yourself to try to understand the resistance that people have to seeing art in a different way, how challenging that is, and try to meet them somewhere in between there, you know, in between your knowledge and understanding and where they're coming from, uh, so that you can you can connect with some ideas. And so starting conversations with, with some of these ideas here. And again, I, I think it would be a mistake to dump all this on somebody at one time. But you know, float some things and see where it might go. Um, and I do know of more than one situation in which the spouse or friend or relative of an artist, abstract artist, uh, was initially not interested. And over time, they have begun to appreciate abstract work. And sometimes 
very much so, sometimes to the point of wanting to collect it and so on. So it's, um, it can be really rewarding, you know, to help somebody understand. All right. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please go to MessyStudioPodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as Rebecca's public profile page. For more from Rebecca Kroll, check out RebeccaKroll.com and Cold Wax Academy at ColdWaxAcademy.com. Be sure to sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. For more from myself, Ross Tickner, check out RossTickner.com. The Messy Studio is a Tick Digital Media production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. Until then, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.